Welcome to the Holy Arrows podcast. I'm your host, Phoenix Amara, author of Ascension of Gaia, founder of the Temple Arts Alchemy Mystery School, Muse and Mother. We're here to delve deep into the power of Holy Arrows and all things devotion, intimacy, sacred sexuality, and love where the transformational medicine of our soul, sex, and art intersects and transforms ourselves and the world. Enjoy today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another juicy and delicious episode of the Holy Arrows podcast. And today we have a personal favorite guest of mine, Misha Byruck. And so Misha, he, him, is a sexual integrity coach. He guides people to live their sex lives in line with their values. He is the founder of Evolve.Men, where he coaches, teaches, and writes on gender and sexuality. He is an ICF certified coach with training in abuser counseling, facilitation, anti-racism, trauma, gender consent, men's work, and sexuality. He teaches workshops on sex, kink, and consent, and is the consent education partner for Bonobo Network, the Bay Area's premier sex-positive community organization. He's also, interestingly enough, been an erotic model and appeared in amateur porn. You can find out more about Misha at evolve.men and beyondconsent.love. Welcome to the show, Misha. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a wonderful intro. Ooh, I was just feeling all (laughs) flushed hearing you read that in your sultry voice. So I want to share a little bit with everyone about how we met. And I actually realized that it wasn't what I thought. We actually met before that at a festival, at Soul Play Festival. We did. We We did. We did. Yeah. And we had some really beautiful experiences, encounters um, in that beautiful festival that is centered around sacred sexuality and positivity. And I think... You know, we stayed in contact over a few years, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then COVID brought us together again. And oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal something really juicy with all of you. And you know, me and Misha became reconnected again during COVID, kind of like in the middle of it. And is it okay if I share this, Misha? Oh, yeah, of course. Go for it. <laughs> So Misha was hosting these really amazing online sex parties through the Bonobo Network. Not actually through the Bonobo Network. I, Ooh, I, it was, my, yeah, no, it was it was through my own organization for love, but it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. It was for love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all was well. Uh, you know, I was doing like the sex priestessing, you know, facilitation of, you know, some neo-tantric embodiment practice and dress up and play and... Those times were so beautiful because, you know, people were hungry for connection. They were hungry to express themselves. And it was really, really cool to see, you know, sex positive spaces for exploration actually opening themselves up to new people that actually otherwise wouldn't even step through the doors of a sex party, but would be able Mm -hmm. to go up to an experience online where they could always shut off their computer you know, leave the event because it was online. And I loved that. I did too. I love that so much. And, you know, I think that you were a really big pioneer in helping to spread, you know, this new way for people to express themselves online erotically. And so 
Thank you. It feels so good. Yeah. It feels so good. And just yeah. reminding me, like, one of the most precious things about these online parties was that what we one of the things we quickly figured out about a Zoom sex party was that it, it needed a lot more facilitation than a regular party. A regular party, you can rely on a lot of serendipitous natural human instincts to like allow the people to interact. Maybe you do like an opening ceremony or consent talk, but then generally it's a party. People like do their thing. But with a Zoom room, you really need some facilitation. And that's where you came in and, and other, other professionals. Um, and I thought it was just such a cool experience to have people say, oh, my experience of an erotic event is going to be one of being facilitated by professionals. And in your case, to be facilitated on a, on a tantric self-pleasure journey, for instance. And I remember one night um, where you'd guided us all in this incredible, incredible uh, orgasmic ritual. And you took all this incredible energy in a room. You know, you know what I mean? Like there was the Zoom room was, was so connected. And it's so hard to feel connected with a bunch of people on a Zoom room, but we felt so connected after we'd all kind of like orgasm together. And then you had us all um, tr like transmute the energy in the space into our hopes and dreams and go around the room and share our hopes and dreams. And you did sex magic with a group of people of like 30 people. Yes, you did. Like that happened. And it was, oh, it was, it was one of my true highlights of all of the COVID times. Oh, it, and it was so experimental too. Like it was really beautiful. I mean, you guys did some really cool themes. Like there was like these adventure, like almost like superhero themes. And there was like a storyline. And I mean, God, like everyone got so creative. And I just, I look back and I really marvel at how, you know, the experiences that everyone went through and, you know, the, the isolation. And we got creative to find solutions for people to mm -hmm. in space. And actually, I mean, we were from all over the world. You know, mm -hmm. there's people in the States, Canada, I'm sure Europe, like it was pretty cool how, how things went down. So very much. Yeah, I was really, yeah. really, so really proud of that. And for love is continuing. It's evolving. Um, and it's under new leadership. I've just transferred the leadership to Bridget. Um, and she is officially running it. She's been running it unofficially for the last year, um, turning it into kind of more of a consultancy and um almost like a, a clearinghouse for other, for like a variety of sex professionals to, anyway, really cool, vorlove.love, check it out. Amazing, amazing. And I wanna to return to this piece around community leadership in sacred sexuality spaces. But I, I first wanna really just, I mean, find out like how did you get to that point in your career that you're like, okay, I'm now facilitating online sex parties and, and you know, being an ambassador for consensual interaction and intimacy. And then where have you gone, you know, from that time that we were doing those crazy events to now? Like where, mm. take us on a little journey of what, how you got here. I got here, what the hell? I know, I've got a master of public administration from NYU. I went to Columbia undergrad. I was meant to be like a white collar worker, but the truth is I wasn't doing very well in my career. I had a career as a nonprofit fundraiser. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, for cool for like cool techie nonprofits, but I was I was failing, honestly. Um I'm I'm always so admiring of the people who's like were like I left a really successful career to do this other thing. I was like, oh, <laughs> I, 
I ditched a completely like failing career in which I kept on getting fired mm. because I was so clearly meant to be leading weird stuff and be a thought leader and be a writer and a coach and a teacher. And in all the rest of my roles in the white collar world, I just wasn't having an opportunity to do that. I wasn't good with schedules or time or navigating office politics or being managed. Failing. I was failing. Mm. And, you know, so I needed a radical shift. So in 2016, 17, I gave myself that shift and I was really lucky to have the financial privilege to be able to give myself that shift that I did. And that involved taking months of just time away from even the United States of just to rediscover my body, to start exploring sacred sexuality and just like physical embodiment to get fit for the first time. Um, all of that was really, really helpful. And then I came back to the San Francisco and gave myself the space to explore the underground scenes here and started just really kind of listening to my internal yes. And that led me to coaching school and it led me to the play party world and the sex positive world and the immersive theater world. And all of those felt fabulous. And then it was also at the same time that Me Too was hitting. And so there was this through line of harm, of the harm, especially that men do to women, especially around sex that like carried through all of my work. And I started hosting workshops in my apartment with my peers called Men Confronting the Patriarchy. It sounds so naively on the nose now, but like, but, but beautiful workshops that were transformative spaces, especially for men who had never had um, an opening to a really confronting discussion on how we ourselves perpetuate harm. And, um, and at the same time as that was happening, I was noticing that Me Too wasn't just hitting in the corporate world, it was hitting all of these cool alternative worlds that I was discovering. So Buddhist tantric meditation schools that someone had invited me to, oh, all of a sudden the head Buddhist priest is getting called out for being sleazy and oh, let's do this, uh, cool neo-tantric uh, retreat in Bali. Oh, nope, can't do that because the, the guru just got called out. Or how about this uh, yoga retreat? Nope, not that one either. You know, and again and again and again, harm around sex and power was happening even in the communities that I thought should be at the forefront of preventing it. Hmm. That's really feeling that and like, it was, that's just really sitting with me, especially in light of recent news that, uh, you know, around a particular leader, spiritual leader who, you know, it's, it's all over the news right now. And I'm not going to really touch on that here right now, but it's, oh, you know, stuff is shadow. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it begs me, and I'm curious about your own reflections I mean, obviously you've done a lot of thinking around this because it's been a big part of your work actually, right? Like your professional work. And I'm curious to hear like, what have been some of like the meta insights you've gotten around, um, you know, idolization, uh, you know, leadership, power with sexuality and how do we reconcile or at least where are your thoughts around no. pieces, right? As we consider this all. Thank you for that question. I really agree. And, and there's a just a, I want to name that I come to this work and one of the, the, the critical elements that I think it's so important for leaders, especially community leaders, especially leaders or uh, in, in sexuality. So educators, people who hold spaces in which sexuality happens. So anybody producing festivals, anybody producing concerts, you know, people with lots of access like Burning Man camp leaders or band leaders, you know, um, 
CEOs of nonprofits that serve communities that circle around entertainment, for instance, or um, gathering. That that none of us ever are exempt. That no matter how woke you think you are, no matter how enlightened you think you are, and I very much include myself in this, that we have the capacity to harm, that we are often doing harm when we're not aware of it, that people around us, the more power we have, won't tell us that we're harming, um, that it's actually not up to other people to quote, give us feedback, but rather up to us to know mm-hmm. and to be proactively staying in integrity um, and, and modeling it. So even more in integrity than you know, than than our constituents, than our members, right? Like the second that, um, especially men, assume a position of leadership, I think it's so incumbent upon us to have a range of integrity and accountability skill sets and practices in place. Mm-hmm. And that's just not a conversation that's even being had, really. That's just not even a thing. <laughs> and I think it should be a thing. So I want to make it more concrete, right? Like I want to, um, the practices that I advocate setting up and that I adhere to myself include a a deep awareness of my own standards of integrity and how I follow them, especially around sex, which is an area that our society often encourages us not to have standards of integrity around. All's fair in love and war, after all. So, right? So, you know, and most people have some practices like this. Using condoms is a practice. Having an SDI conversation is a practice. Having a check-in after a hookup is a practice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talking about your desires, having done your therapy work in order to know your desires, right? Knowing your triggers, knowing how to respond if someone's accidentally triggered. These are also practices. So now I'm getting a little bit more advanced, right? Being trauma-informed enough to know how to handle it when you accidentally trigger someone and not get defensive or minimize it or try to like get past it or pretend that it's never happened, right? So, so honestly, minimization of defensiveness is like a critical leadership skill. And I don't know why it's not more central. Mm-hmm. Um, minimization of defensiveness, right? And that's, that requires this whole process of like, oh, I've gotten feedback. Let me do my deep breathing. Let me just not respond right away if I'm feeling even a little bit of defensive energy mm-hmm. of like, oh, that piece of feedback doesn't land well because I don't think I actually said that. None of that. Just be like, oh, thank you for that. Right? So. I'm gonna, I can keep going. Is, is that okay? You, I see you want to talk to him. Please. I just want to interject to that, like, you know, this, you know, people hunger for that connection or that relationship to power, you know, because there's these pieces around ancestrally, like, you know, if you could marry, you know, the leader of such and such, your family would be set up. Like, it was really connected totally. to stability, financial resources. Um, I mean, even women, you know, being able to uh, be connected sexually and, and intimately through the bonds of marriage to someone who had wealth and influence, that meant that your children were set up. Now, I want to presence that this stuff also happens to women in positions of power. And, that, you know, I've noticed myself, like when I've led retreats that men have been on, like, there was this weird kink that sometimes like a man would be hitting on me in my retreat. And it's like, Cool. Like I was like, oh, this is what it's like. And that was just being a retreat leader. (laughs) Like I'm like, imagine. Actually, you bring up such an important point. You bring up such an important point, Phoenix. Like that. That what you just said. Oh, that was just me being a retreat leader. The implication of what you just said, right, is that that's not that much power. Yeah. But in the context of that retreat, and I know you already know this, 
right? I know you already know this. I'm not trying to educate you, right? But like in the context of that retreat, you have huge power. Ooh. Yeah. You have power. And not just because you're a retreat leader, but because of the work you do especially is leading people into incredibly vulnerable space. And when someone's gotten vulnerable at the hands of someone else, that's that creates mommy dynamics, daddy dynamics, um, teacher be approved dynamics. It accesses all of our inner childhood shit and it, it really creates massive amounts of vulnerability. So like leading sexual space is so much power. Even if you're just throwing a play party for your butts, that's power. Yeah. You know, even, you know, even if you're just going to bed with someone, that's power, you yeah. know, so like, and, and I wanted to name power awareness is this other huge umbrella of, 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 of skill sets, like the skill sets of navigating power, mm-hmm. of, of, of being able to name the power dynamics at play, being able to know how you tend to respond to power, both power that you have, power that you covet, power that you want to get close to, mm-hmm. right? So I'm applying this to all humans, not just men, right? Like, right? What is our will to power? And, but like, honestly, in my work, one of the biggest, biggest blind spots, one of the biggest causes of harm is people not believing they have power. <laughs> so much harm happens because some guru or community house leader or head of some small tech companies is like, has this idea of power is this thing that other people have. Donald Trump has power. Joe Biden has power, but not me. Little old me. Of course not. I wasn't popular in high school. Like I still have to work to get people to have sex with me. Like I still have insecurities. I couldn't possibly have any power. And the people around them are like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you have a lot of power. And when you say a thing, it ripples out. And when you do a thing, it ripples out. And we're all modeling ourselves after you and judging how you are with people and, 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 and finding ourselves especially if we're in a space that you're holding, norming our behavior after you. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be the cause of, cause of so, just so much harm. Because if, if once, once I support my clients and students to see their own power, to see their massive influence over the people around them, yeah, they usually have this reaction of like humility and like, oh, like I should tread carefully, especially around sex. Like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Here's a weird question that's coming to my mind. And again, what, you know, I always like to acknowledge on this podcast that, uh, you know, I don't have all the answers and I'm not a perfect person. And I just, you know, I lead through curiosity. Um, and so this is a weird question, but, you know, the question is, is how do you reconcile or how do you think that people can reconcile with their kinks around power in a healthy way? Oh. <laughs> yes. And I, I want his presence, you know, like that could look like, again, those mommy daddy dynamics. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like teacher, student, I know that's a popular one. Like, how can people do this in a healthy way? Yeah. And is this maybe through like conscious BDSM or? It's exactly through conscious BDSM. Oh my God, you have, if you, especially if you've got these kinks, you have to have, you have to create scenes. <laughs> right? And, and it's so transformative on so many levels. It's so corrective, mm. especially for sensitive new age soft boy types who may or may, may or may not be listening or may or may not be in relationship with your listeners, just putting that out there as a possibility, uh-huh. right? who have shamed the part of them that themselves that wants to take, that wants to violate, that wants to possess in sex, that have said to themselves again and again over years, that's not okay. Yeah. It's, we should all be equal and everything, you know, it's like, you know, and have lost polarity within themselves or the ability to access it. 
except maybe in the final throws of pre-orgasmic where it's like a soft, soft, soft. And then finally, bop, 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 bop. You know, they do a little aggressive thrusting and that's it. But like never really tapping into like the depth Primal. Of, of the, pri yeah, of, of primality or of power. Like we can actually be much more explicit and make it about power and like, oh, I'd like to be worshiped. I'd like you to, like, I want you to worship my cock. I want you to worship my body. I, like, I want you, I want to um, like have a threesome specifically because I want to feel powerful over two women and like like oh yeah like like going into all those edgy places is so important it's 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 important for safety it's important for the health of the world you know like it's it's you know it's in the same way that like sex workers are like this critically important release valve on the tension in our society that's like oh, so okay that is like this is important like this work is, sex work is critical. Like if we didn't have sex work, we'd, we, you know, like there'd be even more mass murderers, you know, like we, it's, it's, uh. I, so this, is, this is God's work. I don't, I don't know how else to tell your listeners, but this is, and I, and I use God very, very expansively. This is sacred work to, to, to enact your own kinks in a healthy way oof. and in a conscious way, I'll just say in a conscious way. Um, okay. But you asked how we could do it. So, so creating scenes is one way. But even kind of on an overarching, like, meta level, I was talking about integrity and practices, but I haven't even talked about accountability practices. But that's the other big part of this. Knowing yourself, knowing your values, and adhering to your values is one part. Having processes and systems in place for when you inevitably fuck it all up is another. Wow. Right? So not pretending... Right. Like I, I, I use an analogy of like we're building like a ship um, and it's like we've festooned it with galleons and I've right. Like I've, we've festooned it with all this this beautiful stuff and decorations and and all that is that's representing all of our different sex techniques. Like I've learned this G-spot stimulation technique and I've learned this orgasmic meditation eye gazing technique. But like I have no idea what to do when the ship hits a little rock. And what happens is the ship hits a rock and then we just set fire to the ship and the organization explodes and we all jump off the ship and we mutiny, we kill our captain. And that's what happens to a lot of like neo-tantric organizations or, or like alternative community organizations or anarchist organizations. They haven't developed the skills for dealing with conflict or when shit goes bad. So like restoration, repair, you know? <laughs> yeah, even relationships, I mean, doing yeah. deep sexual healing with what I've experienced. I mean, even in my own personal relationships where I've had deep, I mean, one of my most profound sexual healing relationships, we didn't have the skills at that time to handle the yeah. tricks and the wounds and the things. And we didn't have strong communication skills to be like, hey, can you hold space for me? Because I'm processing abandonment and be da 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 da. Because you're such a like. Totally, totally. So like holding space skills, like how to like not take it personally when he says she doesn't want you. How to not take it personally when he, you know, says like, oh, like I'm not like I don't want you. Oh God, women women do not roll out the red carpet for no very well either. You know, that's one of my concepts is rolling out the red carpet for no, like making it really pleasurable to say no to you. Oh, yeah. How can you how can you make it a joy to be yeah. someone someone who is a joy to say no to, not just tolerant of no, but like a joy. Yeah. Anyway, um, but like a big part of this is like knowing how to repair, not just apologize, but really repair. And a lot of that is, is, is a question of presence, a question of, um, of, of like having done enough of your own work, of having, of having enough intimate abundance so that you can like go and get 
emotional support or cuddles or something from someone who's not your partner if you're in conflict. Um, Would you also say that, like, say if someone is like, they're like, okay, I heard this amazing podcast. They were talking about Misha Byrock was giving us examples. I really want to do this. Would you even say before they even get into the nitty gritty of setting up a scene and sharing, like, they actually have some frameworks in place? They talk about those frameworks before they even jump into that arena, maybe. Would you say that would be helpful? I think think that's generally good practice. I think, but I think, like, one of the one of the frustrations and challenges with kink is, um, I mean, I'm not talking about like meeting someone at a party and having a little flogging scene. I'm talking about like deep psychological scenes, you know, or or really like really triggery scenes, blood play, scat play, race play, like really intense stuff can is not the kind of stuff you want to do with someone you just met at a party. Like you want yeah. to establish bedrocks of trust before you start enacting mommy scenes. You know what I mean? Like generally. Or you want to be with people who have a lot of experience, both parties having lots of experience. I also see lots of dynamics in the kink scene, especially with like men, especially primarily welcoming in newbie women, like young women who don't have a lot of experience and don't know their own boundaries or yeses or nos, don't know what it feels like to be right. And instead of having a true mentorship dynamic, they're just kind of using using the young women for their hotness. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine you know, like some of those deeper things, obviously you want to have, you know, a deep connection to the person that you're doing this with. And I mean, too, even just for the general populace who have never even experimented with uh, BDSM, conscious kink, uh, even anything like being tied up, (laughs) you know, like they're like, oh, that's not me, but it's actually, I found it to be a deeply healing practice as a woman, like for example, to be tied up by a partner and to play in some of the power dynamics of domination and submission and not even from like a lot of people, I think the general populace thinks of kink as being this like, oh, it, it has pain. And I, you know, I was with someone who was a quote unquote pleasure dom and like, mm-hmm. it's more of a psychological dominance versus a physical in a sense, but like there was something deeply healing for me around being able to soften into my feminine for me mm-hmm. as a very alpha fem- feminine woman you know? For sure. And yeah, yeah, I mean, like, there are so many incredible kink educators out there who can support this. And I think one of the, one of the conceits that I think we all have, frankly, and I know I'm, I'm have this too, is thinking that like, oh, I can just do this on my own. Like I can figure this out. Like this isn't that hard. I can figure out how to do this kind of dynamic and not get educated on it. And it's tempting, right? Sex feels like a nice to have in terms of spending money on education, but I'm just going to put a put a real plug out there for all the incredible adult sex educators out there who, you know, who offer courses and classes and workshops and intimacy coaching um, and sexuality coaching and surrogacy to support people on their journey. If if you if this all is sounding like radical and weird and new, like it's it's for you too, and there are professionals out there who can support you to bring to to bring it into your life, which is frankly the kind of collective mission of everybody in the sexuality field, is to like support more people to have more pleasure in their lives because we all think, from our experience, that that will create a healed world, that will create a, a better world, um, and and it's healthy. I I think this work is actually really deeply sacred. Mm. Um, I don't advocate treating your kink or BDSM fantasies as some like subversive rebellious little thing that you keep hidden. I actually think it's really important to light a candle first and like get in touch with yourself and see that this is actually part of your integrity mm. rather than some subversive dirty thing you do on the side. Oh, 
Oh. Well, spe- I mean, speak here on this piece around integrity and also around the healing aspects of kink and, and sacred sexuality. Like, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, community development, you know, and integrity with leadership, I think, in the realms of sacred sexuality. And what are you seeing that's happening right now in the different communities? I know that there's a lot of talk around sacred sexuality educators and organizations around evolving their understanding of consent, evolving and continuing their education around, uh, you know, dynamics of power. and, And also how can we weave in sacred sexuality in different organizations that empowers them, like even in your general nonprofit, for example, how can you deepen your understandings of consent? Like when a lot of like, for example, workplace romances happen because you're spending eight hours a day at a place, totally. you know, where you're like, yeah. oh my God, I love my coworker. I'm in love with him. You know, oh. how, how do we, how do we like further the conversations around that just in the general workplace? Oh my God, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And of course, having worked in the white collar world, I recall this, like it was so hard to like prevent myself from, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To prevent myself from hooking up with colleagues and coworkers or, you know, to prevent that kind of tension. And it was, it it was all I could do to just make sure that it only existed on the, on the, on the existing planes of power rather than hooking up with people above or below me. I mean, God forbid. So I I very much appreciate that question. Um, So to start with the the first part, I think the the movement that I'm seeing in the sacred sexuality communities is, I'd say I'm noticing a couple of trends. One trend I'm noticing, which I find really troubling, is a backlash against Me Too culture, mm. um, because Me Too as a movement has now been subsumed in under cancel culture. Mm-hmm. and cancel culture is is like is an easy straw man to attack so generally speaking i'm not in favor of cancellation i'm just going to go on the record say right that said and I, I don't believe a call out is the same as a cancellation i think right i think generally speaking if you're next to someone i i adhere to the wisdom of adrian marie brown the author of pleasure activism and emergent strategy who says that if you are within a phone call's distance away from someone if you can solicit friends to bring that person into the fold if they've done harm then do that don't go to the internet generally and and i'm saying and i think it's actually really important that we have that people have the capacity to say hey I've tried talking to this person. I've tried reasoning with them. I've tried getting their friends to talk to them. This person's dangerous. They've hurt me. They've harmed a lot of other people. This mm-hmm. is a meaning of a call. Yeah. And even then, I generally don't advocate cancellation. Here's what happens when you cancel people. What happens to them is trauma. But often what happens is now they've got nothing to lose. They end up doing a lot more harm. It's, it's like what, what follows is nihilism, honestly. They're like, fuck it. I don't care about shit anymore. Like mm-hmm. I've lost my reputation. I've lost my ability to work, you know, like nihilism is what sets in. And with, with my really canceled clients, like I have to battle through hours and hours and layers after layers of self-righteous rage at the manner in which they were called, you know, and you can argue with the validity of that rage, but boy, it is toxic. So I've seen a lot of backlash in the sacred sexuality community against what they like against cancel culture, which I think is right. And more troublingly, I haven't seen it matched with what I hope, what I want to see, which is a deep humility and accountability and consequence culture. 
Mm-hmm. I see still a fuck ton of ego, a f- right? And I say this with like deep humility. I have created elaborate supervisory structures for myself because I'm a white guy talking about all this stuff. I do not think I'm above any of this. I definitely still do harm, can do harm, have done harm and have blind spots. And I have practices and systems in place to catch myself. But like, I will say like, I see a lot of people using a backlash against cancel culture as an excuse to not adopt proactive accountability processes for themselves in leadership. And when I mean, what I say, what I mean by that is what is your proactive feedback mechanism beyond, hey, everybody, just so, you know, let me know if you've got a problem. But like when people do come to you with a problem, you're kind of dismissive and shitty about it. So then people learn not to. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's your system. You're basically beckoning to be called out because people are seeing, oh, they don't respond to feedback. They didn't even thank me for it. They just got defensive and minimized my whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, this is especially true for Black people in these spaces, trans people, disabled people, older people. You know, people who don't correspond to traditional uh, standards of beauty, um, people with immigrant status, you know, like truly, you know, if you're not like a hot white middle-class person in these spaces, it can feel super alienating if the hot white middle-class person running them doesn't have these systems and practices in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I do see this continual like, oh, throwing up our hands. I wonder why our spaces are so white. Like, that's why. Yeah, because these are our problems that generally you don't face, right? If if you are the if you're not a person of color, you're not a person of a different economic status. You know, like regardless of what people like to think, there's still power, invisible power structures at play in many different strata and levels, and it depends on you know where you're at in that power dynamic and that strata. Uh, you know. That play a lot, and that's where. But I, but I want to I want to name like <laughs> one of the more troubling things I see, especially and this especially cries to like hyper left wing spaces, anarchist spaces, um, and a lot of like spirituality spaces is is this suspicion of power, and therefore this what I what I experience as an incredibly naive and deeply destructive insistence that we that we don't hold power Uh, right uh, so like a good example of this is ista's insistence on individual sovereignty as the overarching framework through which to view all action that's nutso to me like when you come in yeah you've got sovereignty but we're also spending the week breaking you down everybody's crying 10 or 20 times you know like we are introducing you to massively new concepts you're in a field that we we have explicitly created to create vulnerability and that's all beautiful. But if you, you can't turn around and create all that vulnerability and still say, well, you're in your sovereignty, you're responsible if the hot teacher decides to seduce you, mm-hmm. you know? I, I just think, I, I don't think it's just naive. I think it's harmful. I think it's actively harmful, that perspective. Like individual sovereignty completely removes the responsibility of leaders to be power aware to be humble in, in the face of their power and to be not just discerning, but to stand back mm-hmm. from directly engaging in sexuality and just treating everybody that they're in charge of as if they were, you know, as if power didn't exist, as if power didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And not because, and this is important, not because harm is necessarily going to accrue to the person with less power who hooks up with the person with more power. Frankly, oftentimes everybody's consenting in that dynamic, right? 
right? We're all attracted to power. So, right, to use the classic example, the young woman comes into the scene. She sees the guy who's in charge of the whole thing. And, you know, he's attracted to her because she's new and young and hot. She's attracted to him because he's big and powerful and charismatic. And they're all consenting and happy and sexy. But it's the people around them who are harmed by this. Because mm -hmm. now everybody in the community is wondering, oh, will I get more individual attention and learn more if I dress sexy and flirt with this leader? Mm -hmm. Is that now the price of admission? you know i've now lost trust in this leader because i've loved i don't i can't trust his discernment for creating safe space because he's clearly using this as an opportunity to just take the pick of the litter you know i didn't trust him because now i don't, I don't perceive this this young person as being fully in her power even though i know that it's tempting to do what she's doing so i'm losing trust and faith in this community because of the way it's being held now, because of this dynamic that exists so the harm of power imbalanced sex often accrues to the people in the community not necessarily to the people involved in the sex mm -hmm. and so i'm not saying this to create hard and fast rules i'm saying this to create deep humility and awareness mm -hmm. you know and so what i like to see and what i have seen in some communities is yeah there's some policies in place like for instance i know some people who run communities who are like yeah i will never hook up with new people you know, the, you know, like one of my litmus tests is, is this person interacting with me be, through friendship? Like, do we actually have a dynamic of friendship built up where mm -hmm. I happen to be the leader of the community they're in, but like our overarching, like the primal relationship in our dynamic, the, the prime, the prime relationship is friendship, not me being their leader. Mm -hmm. Then I feel a little bit more safe. Right. Mm -hmm. But even then some, you know, that's, that's, or to, 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 to take action. Um, I see other leaders just having a beautiful, like, Nope, there'll be no interaction, no sexual interaction whatsoever, no running of erotic energy. I'll like really go into that, into the space of like clean, clean, clean interactions. Um, a lot of sex coaches take six months or up to two or three years bef before hooking up. I mean, frankly, professional therapists can never share erotic energy ever, ever, ever with anyone who's ever been their client, no matter how long you wait. Um, so like there are concrete systems and processes you can put in place. Um, external accountability systems are really important as well. And I'm seeing more organizations take those on. Mm -hmm. So basically establishing an external ombudsperson to hold the leadership of an otherwise unaccountable organization mm -hmm. um, accountable. So like, it's one thing to have a report creation process, you know, that goes to leadership. But what if the leader is the one hurting you? Yeah. Where do you complain? Oh, you complain to the ombudsperson and mm -hmm. that works. That's, that's a good system. And I've seen that working. Mm, beautiful. I mean, it's, it's a complex conversation, right? And, and the reason why it's so nuanced too, as well, is because when we're talking about, especially as you're talking about, right, creating spaces, you know, as leaders in sacred sexuality, like your job is to create spaces for healing. And then, <laughs> you know, it, it is complex and nuanced, right? Or, you know, I'm part of quite a few groups that are talking about this stuff and hashing it out. And then, but then, you know, I've, I've seen some people bring up this conversation. Well, then how does that work for sex workers who literally get paid to, you know, run erotic energy with their clients in varying degrees of sexual interaction. And like, that's like, you know, and, and so you're literally paying for that dynamic. And so it's. Yeah. I, I think, see that way less problematic, honestly. I think that, I think sex work is, you know, in, in many, right. I, but I think sex work is an incredibly educational opportunity because yeah. it really challenges us to think beyond the, the, what, what I've come to understand as a conceit of affirmative consent, mm. 
especially because the, the essential conceit of affirmative consent is that it is first of all that everybody needs to be enthusiastic which is not realistic a lot of people don't get turned on until they're interested until they're in the sex already first of all right this is like a dynamic in a lot of marriages mm-hmm. right if you waited for enthusiasm like no one would actually ever have sex right you actually have to like trust in the partnership and create trust that says like oh yeah i know that once i get turned on i'll probably be into it but like the, the right what that like when someone has kind of previous consent and you agree to sure right like so like an but like an established level of like yes i i consent to this yes but like the conceit of the consent conversation is that if we just make sure the consent's present we'll prevent harm and that's not true can you can you uh, elaborate for our listeners absolutely absolutely (laughs) <laughs> there is a lot of very consensual sex that's very harmful. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sex that is legally consensual, even energetically consensual, that's still harmful. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that we do where consent wasn't officially established that are delightful. Mm-hmm. Right? Think of every time someone just went in for a hug because they read you right and they saw that you needed it, but technically they didn't get consent to touch you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like think of every time you were attuned to without words. Think of every, you know, time you've had this amazing sex where like there wasn't a lot of words, but it was really attuned and fabulous, yeah. you know? Then on the flip side, think of all the times where you've like been like, yeah, I sort of said yes, but like there was this weird power dynamic that wasn't, and now I've just lost trust and I feel icky around him and like, ugh. Mm. Or like, yeah, I consented, but like, I really... Like the way that he's acting now just makes it all feel awful. And like, you know, like, cause I, I feel like I like regret it or this felt coercive, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, technically consent was present, but like there was an unacknowledged power dynamic um, that like made it, like made me feel like I couldn't really say no. So I said the words, yes, or even feigned enthusiasm because I kind of felt like that was my job or maybe it wasn't even their fault, but like I have just, I'm so deep in my own people pleasing, socialized as a woman trauma that like whenever he wants sex, I just feel like it's my job and I can't really, I haven't done the work, you know, piecing it apart because I feel like I'm going to hurt him if I reject him. So I just go along with it and I actually feign enthusiasm fake my orgasm and it's gone on like this for years and actually now I'm just starting to like feel like it's really hurting me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah I'm sorry, I'm, this this conversation is way deeper and more complicated than just make sure you've got consent mm-hmm. yeah and you're good so this is, a, I mean, this is a big part of your work, Misha, and this is, you know, something you've dedicated a, a lot of time to. I mean, you teach workshops and and talk about this all the time. You know, for those that are listening out there, what would you say is like your <laughs> simplest, easiest piece of advice in this like tiny frame of time that we have uh-huh. as we begin to wrap up this conversation which oh, do we have to oh it's definitely so i think we might have to do a part two again this is like the power of this work right it's i can like, go i can go longer right now I've, i created some spaciousness i don't know if you've got a hard stop but i'm, I'm happy um but like what would you say is is how can people tune in with like their actual desire you know how mm-hmm. do you turn into their like as a mother you know i really like i tell my kid like honey 
even, and it's hard for me as a mom, but like, even if you don't want me to hug you or mm-hmm. kiss you, I will listen to you. Cause there's sometimes she's like, I don't want to kiss. I don't want to hug. And I, I have to fucking listen because mm-hmm. I want hard, her- right. Like it can be hard. It can be like, oh, it is hard. She's like, peanut, you know? Right. Yeah. It stings. Huh? But, uh, you know, I, I want her to never have to go through a crossing of her boundary. And so the only way for me as a parent to solidify that for her to really get is if her own mother fucking honors her desires to not be hugged or kissed when she says that. And so I really try to, you know, I do my best to listen and really attune to that. And, you know, so as a mom, I'm like, God, even with my child, it can be hard, but like, even for like, how do we roll out the red carpet for no, we we can really know that this and, and not in a way too, that's like, Oh God, I have a deep attraction to you. Like, may I touch your hand? Like in a way that feels cheesy. Cause I think a lot of people, but also like desire smuggling to use a phrase from one of my advisors, Marsha Pachinsky, but like, yeah. Um, how do we do it in a way that feels still yeah. sexy where we're like, you know, like well, well you're asking you're asking a couple of big questions here. I know. Um, <laughs> one, one, one practice that's concrete that I want to offer to your listeners is the is the def, the the actual taking of the time to define your own standards of integrity and then match the way that you've been showing up in your sex life with those standards. <sighs> and the way that I have my clients do this and my my students is to make a list of maybe a dozen times in your life that you've been really proud of the way that you've shown up around sex. Mm. Proud, right? Is the, is the operative word here. So proud of the way, right? So yeah, I guess that could mean, you know, bagged the hottie at a party, you Mm. know, but more, I think what I'm looking and that, and that's totally valid. That's valid. You know, maybe that was a big corrective moment for you if you like felt a lot of sexual scarcity. And God knows we all understand that. But also, what I mean is found access to your no and verbalized it. Mm. Or, you know, if that was hard for you, or were able to articulate a kind of unconventional desire in a way that felt authentic to you, even if it wasn't received well, but did it. Or, got some really hard feedback in the middle of the sexual act and just shifted and adjusted without making it your ego a part of it. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. or, or, or got rejected and handled it well in general, mm-hmm. you know, or fell in love or, or like got really, really excited about some, something and then saw that it wasn't aligned because they were more in love with you than you were with them and that they, this was going to hurt them. And so abstained and actually established the boundary that they couldn't for them. Yeah. I mean, proud. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. so make a list of those times that you've, you've felt pride in yourself. Yeah. And then you analyze each of those instances for the, the characteristics that you were displaying. Mm, mm, mm. Right? Mm. Caringness compassion, honesty, forthrightness, um, authenticity, expressiveness, um, right? And start actually building a sense of like, when I'm showing up at my best, this is what it looks like. And if I've been showing up in my marriage or in my dating life without honesty, without compassion for myself and others, right? Like whatever those standards are for you, 
then maybe examine that. Just maybe, right? Maybe examine like, oh, like, wow. I like, love this. It's it's everyone developing their own ethics around sexuality, which helps also to, I think, for people to examine to behaviors that haven't been serving them. Uh, you know, like I remember like in my own personal life, like one time I had an experience with a man uh, years and years and years ago. And he was like, I don't want to make out with you while you're on mushrooms, right? I was at a festival and I was like, wow. I was like, I totally get that. And that was his own personal ethic around that, you know? Uh, like ethics is such a, like a weird loaded word. Like that was his own, that was his own standard. His own mind, right? And like, right. People hear integrity and they think like, this is all about like some sort of like boring ethical ethical like don't be rapey like Dirty. Blah, blah 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 we all know this shit already no that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking like in, when i say integrity i'm talking about being true to yourself mm-hmm. that's a much taller and it, a taller order and it's also incredibly unique to the individual yeah yeah and and that's where also too we get into this like that's it's not a one size fit, fits all because no. you know no. i personally don't mind if i if i i find plant medicines can be deeply opening actually yeah connection but for him that didn't feel aligned and that's totally great and what works for one person doesn't work for another obviously you know consent for me is a baseline and and there's certain things around age and you know these kinds of things um but that's really beautiful Nisha I love I love that thank you oh yeah, yeah. Wow. And it, it might not it might not reveal like oh I've been out of integrity around ethics it might reveal oh I've been like really just you know turns out like there's this part of me that's queer or this is part of me that has mommy fantasies. I have been burying it and shaming it and like, mm-hmm. shit. Like, yeah. I'm not being honest with myself. I'm not being, you know, it could look like that. Or it could look like, oh, I have just left a trail of broken hearts in my wake. And I used to think that was cute, mm-hmm. but it's actually not cute anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah, my friend really <laughs> changed her like integrity and ethics around her values. You know, she was in some like long term relationships that weren't sexually fulfilling. I mean, with people that were very shut down. And she's like, you know what? I'm ready to let loose my pussy power. And I have an ethic and a boundary now around being with anyone who hasn't tapped into that part of themselves, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But- absolutely. I love that. And, you know, like, and then, and then the question of like, how to be, how to re- restore integrity or get back, get ourselves back into alignment mm. with our values can be the work of a one hour long, really hard conversation or the work of decades mm. over time as we start to align ourselves more and more with like what's important to us to show up as, right? This is, this is a microcosm of like applying our standards of integrity to our lives in general, but the sexuality field is so vast and so nuanced and so kind of critical to so many of us, I don't want to say for everybody, but for so many of us, it's such a critical part of our lives and expression that I, I really want us to be, hmm. I really want people to be filtering their experience of sexuality through the lens of integrity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and by integrity, I mean wholeness, like fullness, being our full selves. Like what does that full sexual self really look like in a, in a, in a you know? And yeah. Be, invite yourself to be on your own journey and to take that journey seriously to know that when you're on that journey in a serious way and taking it seriously and being accountable to others when you're when you're out of it and do harm that like you'll you'll you know it, it's it's the path of of being a contribution to the people around you mm. it's the path of your own fulfillment and pleasure mm. 
God, Misha Byrock, this has been like the just juiciest, delicious conversation around things I'm really passionate about. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to share all of this heart mm. today. And I could totally go on, but uh, my mom duties continue. Okay, fair, totally. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, but this is so okay. juicy. So I have one more question, the last one for you before I get you to share some uh, juicy details. But, you know, what is, if we were us listeners to really know you, to really, really, truly know you, what is one thing that we would know about Misha Byrock, the man? Oh. really deeply know you like so mm. closely if you really knew me you'd know that in my heart of hearts I still want a family oh. Oh. Yeah. May, may I invite our listeners and actually this is a new practice I think I'm going to evolve as of now is that if all of you listening can hold Misha in that vision and see that and help him manifest that through your belief and power that is the gift that you can give back to this beautiful man who shared so much with you is that you can see that for him and hold him in that light and love thank you that's a beautiful gift that is actually one of the deepest gifts you listeners can give him Mm -hmm. just hold that for for a moment oh oh seeing you there baby oh yeah oh And so it is, babe. And so it is. Oh, thank you for being such a light in our lives and in my life. Uh, a continued muse, friend, ally, uh, conspirator. I don't know what to <laughs> Leader in this work and just a beautiful, beautiful man who I'm so grateful to know. I feel just such love for you, even though you are so far away. I hope that our feet can dance together once more. And um, where can people find out more about you and your work? What are, What is coming up in your life right now that people yeah. can work with you in? Absolutely. Um, I offer one-on-one integrity coaching in a variety of packages. I offer the Beyond Consent course um, in various ongoing cohorts. You can find out more at evolve.men and beyondconsent.love. And please just give me a follow. I do a lot of posting on Instagram at Sir Misha B. Oh, we will put those in the show notes so you can find him, connect with him. And yeah. thank you, love, so much for this beautiful, beautiful conversation. So perfect. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's always such a joy to connect with you. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you got something out of it, if what was shared really touched you, impacted you, transformed you, or shocked you, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to share this episode with your friends and community. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify and let us know what are your thoughts on what we discussed today. Do you have questions that you'd love to submit to the show? You can find more details on that and more at phoenixamara.com slash podcast and you can submit your own questions to the podcast where I will take these and answer them on air. 